Well, let me share something from Bill Purvis, who is a minister today. That almost didn't happen for him, though, because when he was about 20 years old, he was a low-level criminal caught up with two other low-level criminals. They turned on him. He ended up getting stabbed three times. They were trying to steal his money, and he was lying on the ground, and he was bleeding. He was saved by a miracle, but at that moment, as he was dying, he says, what do you think you really think about when you're dying? And he said, what I was thinking about was two weeks before a stranger knocked on my door and something he said to me on my porch, those words are what were in my mind. We'll find out what those words are here in a moment. You know, JFK, President Kennedy famously said, the problems of this world cannot possibly be solved by the skeptic or the cynic. We need men who can dream of things that never were and ask why not. So we're going to look at that why not type of thinking today as we move into this new year. You know, if you ever watched a movie and you watched it a second time or a third time and you remember things differently each time you watch it. And the reason for that is because you're in a different emotional state when you watched it this time versus a different time. And so when we gather together for worship or study or in prayer, that puts us also in a different state of mind. We're in that state of mind, you know, spiritually we're caught up in the worship in Christ and celebrating him and letting his word just speak into our hearts. And from that state of mind, we see things differently, think things differently, make different decisions, quality decisions. That's what we want to stop and say, let me be thinking in Christ, him be my focus, as I start this new year and imagine for a moment what life was like. We're going to read something here by John Dickerson prior to where we live today and think about where we live today. And from that state of knowing who we are in Christ, maybe think about some big goals and some little goals and how we're going to live out this next year following after Jesus. Here's a fascinating study. This is by John Dickerson. He said, think about the things that you have today. And now let's imagine what life would be like if we lived, you know, centuries ago under a pharaoh or an emperor. Here's some things to think about what that life would have been like living then. You've never taken a warm shower. You do not have electricity. You not you do not have heat. You'll not live past your 40s. You don't know how to read. You have three sets of clothing. You do not have access to eyeglasses. You cannot break into a higher class of living. If female, you're not allowed to own land. You live without modern plumbing. You'll lose many of your teeth by your 30s. The ruler can kill you on a whim with no recourse. You have no access to hospitals or medicine. And here's the thing, our lives today, radically better and easier. So here's the question then, well, who changed society? Who changed things so that from that life that we just read about under a pharaoh or an emperor to where we are today with all the modern conveniences and the incredible technology, people living longer, healthier, access to information, you know, there's more power in the smartphone in your pocket than the technology there on the space shuttle. Who bridged that gap? Who made the change? Who brought in things like education to the world, modern medicine? Who ended open slavery? Who brought literacy so that people could read and learn and grow? We'll find out here in a moment. Matthew chapter 11 verse 5 is when you know, the apostles of John the Baptist asked Jesus, are you the one? And what does he respond? The blind receive sight. 
the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. When they wanted to know, is this the end of the old age, the beginning of the new age, thy kingdom come, Jesus says, look around. The blind receive sight, the lame leap. T.S. Eliot said it well that only those who risk going too far can possibly find out how far they can go. We're going to talk about the, the what if life and, and taking those risks and maybe some new things and changes for your life and my life and looking at things again from a, a different state of mind, a different place of saying, you know what, who changed society to make it where it is today from the things that, that used to be? People that were looking to take a risk, people like Catherine Stockett who spent 18 months writing a novel and then she sent that off and got 15 rejection letters. So then she rewrote the novel. She got 40 more rejection letters. Can you imagine? Finally, on her 61st letter, she found an agent, published her book, did so in a matter of weeks, sold 5 million copies, two years on the bestseller list, turned into a movie. That book that Catherine Sockett wrote is called The Help. Again, in face of the critics, the naysayers, she believed in what she wrote. As somebody once said, excuses are the enemies of excellence, the marks of mediocrity, the forerunners of failure. You know, if you study, you know, Blaise Pascal in the 1600s, very well-known scientist, mathematician, inventor, but he was a man of faith. And he carried a, a poem that he wrote in his pocket up until the day he died. And that poem was found in his pocket then. And, and here's what he wrote in that poem that he carried with him, this man who lived that what-if life himself. God of Abraham, God of Jacob, God of Isaac, not of the philosophers and of the learned, God of Jesus Christ, my God, your God, forgetfulness of the world and of everything except God. He is only found by the ways taught in the gospel, grandeur of the human soul, righteous father, joy, joy, tears of joy. This is eternal life that they know you, the one true God and the one you sent, Jesus Christ. I left him, I fled him, I renounced him, crucified. Let me never be separated from him. We might have that same sense of the worship, moment to moment, day to day willing to take the risk because he laid it all on the line for, for you, for I. Now, many people may be thinking, you know, but my challenge today, or, you know, maybe some don't really understand or who can identify, but let me read something here from Bill Purvis about the broken relationship with his father. And let me just say up front, that relationship was never healed. And for his whole life, basically his father was cruel to him. And then when Bill Purvis, he grows up, becomes this minister, gets married, has his own kids. He's hoping things might change with his dad, but they did not. Let me read what he wrote and see if you might identify in some of this sense of the real challenge, the hurt, the rejection. My dad was always unkind. Even as an adult, his Christmas and birthday gifts to me would have an insult attached I never got you a car when you were 16, he said. Here you go, as he handed me a matchbox car. Another year, he said, I didn't get you shoes when you were five. Use these. 
It was a tiny pair of shoes he got at a flea market. When his health declined, I worked for two years to make a connection. He continued to insult me and my family. When my mother passed, she gave me a letter and said, read this when your father gets really mean. When he remarried, he got worse. I opened that letter. My mom had wrote, I just want you to know I wanted you. I assumed every man wanted a son. Your father did not. The issues were his. If you can overlook his feelings towards you and not wonder what you ever did, you can succeed. Now for the, you know, the ladies here, I want you to pay attention to this man's heart and understand, again, you might identify with these as well, but listen to this man here and what do you think the cry of his heart and the man maybe sitting next to you might be thinking, what well, doesn't say either. As Bill Purvis continues, near the end of his life, I talked with my father on the phone one day. He remarked, I was just like my mother, except to him that was an insult. I finally put my feelings on the line. Listen to this man sharing from a heart what he wanted. I said to my dad, all I ever wanted in my life was for my father to say, I love you. My father replied, I would never say that. That was our last conversation. He died a few months later. So again, men, women, we can all identify with what that feeling might be as he concludes by saying we all hunger for love and acceptance. And maybe it was your parents or an unfaithful spouse or a friend or a sibling that betrayed you. When love is withdrawn or never offered, it hurts all the way down to the core of your soul. But there's someone with enough love to fill Earth's oceans that never runs dry. Someone that cares about you with a fierce and powerful love, Jesus the Christ. So let's talk about something here about Jesus in our life and in history. So again, from that state of worship grounded in him, whatever you're facing, I'm facing, we step into this new year with a, a different way of seeing things. You know, you hear skeptics, they might say, you know, did anybody talk about Jesus outside of the New Testament writers? The reality is, yes, there's roughly 15 historians that spoke about Jesus in that time period. The most well-known is Josephus, who was born in Jerusalem just four years after the crucifixion of Christ. Josephus, a Pharisee for a while, then he became basically an employee of the Roman government, and they said, with your background in understanding theology, understanding the history of the country, they wanted him to write a book to explain not just the, the history of the area, but also the Old Testament. The people in Rome did not know who Moses was or Abraham or King David. So Josephus writes volumes and explains things like the Old Testament. And then he talks about the first century. And guess what he says here? One of his most famous statements. About this time lived a man named Jesus, a wise man. He won over many Judeans and many of the Greeks. Pilate condemned him to be crucified. Those who had come to love him did not cease to do. For he appeared to them on the third day restored to life. Accordingly, he was perhaps the Messiah, the one whom the prophets have reported wonders. Think about this. You know, Josephus, not a believer at that time, but he said, listen, there's someone that lived here and he changed the entire face of the earth. 
He appeared to his disciples alive again on that third day. That change has been happening now for 2,000 years. And again, when the apostles of John said, how do we know you're the one? How do we know he is the one? The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those that have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is proclaimed to the poor. And so from that standpoint, living in that what-if life, looking at things and saying, now moving into this new year, grounded in him and this new life in Christ, how can we live things differently? Here's another example of somebody that had that what-if belief, Tom Monahan, as an orphan from Detroit, he dreamed of one day owning the Detroit Tigers. Tom Monahan founded one of the most successful companies today, founded Domino's Pizza, and once the, the value reached billions for that company, he bought the Detroit Tigers. Tom Monahan is a person of intense faith. And so again, problems in the world are not solved by the cynics, the skeptics, but by those who stand up in faith and say, listen, let me tell you about a world that used to be and the world we have now and who bridged that gap. And we're going to see how that gap was bridged in a moment. Here's a couple great pieces of advice though. As you think about goals, decisions, and maybe it's a, a small goal or a big goal, whatever it might be, but this is something very useful. Ben Carson, you know, the best worst analysis, he calls it. So if you have a decision to make, he says, what's the best thing that can happen if I do this? What's the worst thing that can happen if I do this? And then ask, what's the best thing that can happen if I don't do it? And what's the worst thing that can happen if I don't do it? Whatever decision you might be thinking about or, or preparing for or wrestling with, just stop and ask, what's the best and worst thing that could happen if I say yes? If I say no to this, what's the best and worst thing then that could happen? A mentor of mine, Chloe Madonna, she says, you know, as you think about goals, you should treat it like getting a, a master's degree. If you were getting a master's degree, you'd sign up for class. You'd think about how many days a week you'd have to go, how many months, you know, to get a master's degree, you know, that's 12, 18 months. How many hours would you have to commit to that? And do that same for that goal. Schedule time to it. A lot of people don't follow through on goals, but if you want to schedule it into your life, like you're pursuing a degree, and when somebody interrupts that time, you can just say, listen, I'm working on my degree, and I'll talk to you when I'm done. But you set up the time and make that commitment, because again, it's about people to say, you know, what if? I love this here, Elijah Lovejoy in the 1800s stood up against slavery, and for that, his life was threatened. He actually ended up being martyred, standing up. To, to see the eradication of slavery. Again, who changed the world? Brought education, medicine, literacy, ended open slavery. Here's one man, Elijah Lovejoy, because of his faith in Christ, and he was threatened by these slave owners. And I love what he said here. I'm governed by higher considerations than either the favor or the fear of man. I can die at my post, but I cannot desert it. Such a powerful statement by a man, again, he wrote that before they took his life sometime later because he had so many death threats. He said, I can die at my post. I cannot desert it. May we have that same sense of saying, you know, yes, 
I will not desert my post because he paid the price for me to live life following after him. So who bridged that gap? Let me read something here. Top 10 hospitals in the country, something again listed by John Dickerson. Listen here. Number one is Mayo Clinic. Number two, Cleveland Clinic. Then there's John Hopkins, Massachusetts General, University of Michigan, San Francisco Medical, Los Angeles Medical, Caesar Sinai, Stanford Health, and number 10, New York Presbyterian. Top 10 hospitals in the nation. Why does that matter? Because nine of those 10 hospitals were started by Christians mainly started as charities. Earliest Christian hospital goes back to 400 AD. Who bridged that gap from life under a pharaoh? It's what we know today. Nine of the top 10 hospitals founded by Christians. Changes brought about by men like this guy here. Tremendous hero, Dr. Tom Satina, a missionary to Sudan, South Africa. Started Mother of Mercy Hospital. Think about this. He's the only doctor, if we can imagine, serving 500,000 people. This is my choice. He was asked, why would you do that? Why would you go to a deserted, broken place, dangerous place? And he said, because I've got a gift and I need to share that gift. That's what we're here for. He sees 400 patients a day, 2,000 surgeries a year. He's done it since 2007. He started Mother of Mercy Hospital, has 435 beds. They often don't even have heat or running water. The people walk seven days to see him. Again, just an ordinary believer doing the extraordinary. Consider Troy and Kim Meter. Brought some, they bought some worthless land out in Oregon, nine acres that had been destroyed by mining. The ground was dead. They tried to plant trees, trying to revive this soil. They said, maybe people in town will help volunteer to to revive this land. And so they brought people out, help with the land. One day, they bought two horses that had been neglected. They were malnourished, starving. They cared for these two horses. And one day, volunteers were on the property, and there was one mute girl. When she met the horse, she began to speak. There's countless testimonies about the healing power of, of animals, especially horses. They saw this take place, and they said, you know what? Now we know a different vision. And so they turned that property into a youth ranch. And 4,000 kids a year, many from abused homes, come through that property, that same smile when they see the horses and the people that care. Tony Robbins asked, what's the story you keep telling yourself that gets in the way of your destiny? The stories we tell about why it can't be, or I tried it before, or I tried it again, or whatever it might be. Who bridged that gap? Hospitals, it was believers. Universities, Oxford's founding motto, the Lord is my light. Cambridge was started by Oxford faculty, who graduated from Cambridge, Isaac Newton, most well-known as a scientist. He's really a theologian, wrote 57 volumes on Christ in the Bible. Another graduate, John Harvard, who would start the first university in the U.S. Puritan graduate sailed here, founded Cambridge, Massachusetts. Harvard's crest reads truth for Christ in the church. Yale founded as a seminary. What's the point? 167 
of the first 182 colleges and universities in North America were started by Christians as Bible colleges. Again, who bridged the gap from where things were to where they are today? Who brought medicine? Believers that said, what if? Who brought the universities? Believers who said, what if? Who helped put an end to open slavery? Believers that said, what if? Who taught people literacy? Again, as H. Brown said, you pay a price for getting stronger. You pay a price for getting faster. You pay a price for jumping higher. But you also pay a price for staying just the same. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. And from that state, from that standpoint, from that commitment, that knowledge, again, let's start this new year individually and as a church with that what-if life. Problems never solved by the cynics, the skeptics, but by those who say, I live for him. I will not desert my post. So I close with words from Bill Purvis for you and for me, for all of us. Again, at 20, he was attacked. He was stabbed. He's lying on the ground. He survives by a miracle. You can read his story, but as he's lying there dying, listen to what he says. Of all the things a dying man might think of in his final moments, a brief conversation with a stranger is not what I would expect. However, two weeks prior, I'd been home when there was a knock on the door. There stood a man in glasses. His words were in my mind. He had said, Bill, everything you are looking for can be found in Jesus. I would say the same thing for you, for me, for all people as we enter into this new year. Everything you and I are looking for can be found in Jesus.